It is so 80s. Yeah, it's so much fun. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. I'm your host, Steve Spears, and today we give you our conversation with Loverboy frontman Mike Reno. With me, as always, he not only works for the weekend, he also works during the weekend. It's my weary friend, Brad, in L.A. Everybody's podcasting for the weekend, Spearsy. We only podcast during the weekends these days, but geez. That's true. Um, it's the weight of the world that's upon us. So, uh, Lover Boy, oh my God. This is a weird, this can be a crazy podcast in a weird way because um, we've actually interviewed Lover Boy before. In person, if I remember correctly. In person, eight years ago, I believe it was. Has it been that long? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we did Sean Daly, Kathy One of my Watts. Back hurts. <laughs> yeah. Sean Daly, Kathy Wass, and I went to Ruth Eckert Hall in Clearwater to cover the We Are the 80s concert tour, which featured uh, Loverboy, Scandal, Eddie Money, and Rick Springfield. Was this back when Eddie Money was speaking to you? <laughs> yeah. I'm just not speaking to him anymore. Oh, okay, right. So Ruth Eckert Hall, this was you know, very, very early days of Stuck in the 80s, and I hadn't personally been to a concert myself in about 10 years at that point really yeah i, I stopped i was just, i was just we're on hiatus i thought i'd seen everybody i wanted to see i didn't want the hassle anymore like the last couple concerts that i had seen i just want to sit in my chair and be comfortable <laughs> I just, why is that so hard <laughs> i mean in the last couple of shows i'd been dragged to i didn't really enjoy so i didn't want to, i didn't really want to go so i mean i just so did this kind of turn the corner for you? That you it did. It did. So I mean, it was it was a nice smaller venue. You know, a bunch of bands from the eighties that I really loved playing just their hits. It, you know, it's it was it was fun. But Ruth Eckert Hall set us up in our own dressing room. Nice on the second floor of the building. They were using every dressing room they had that day because they were you know had five or yeah, six they had acts. All those people. Sure. All and, of them the green M and M's taken out of the bowl. Yeah. Well, Six uh, white towels and 14 bottles of Perrier and well, grapes with no seeds in them. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get to that in a minute. So so the idea was that you know we brought the maestro, Dave Morrison, with us. And they were going to bring in these bands one after another to interview, <laughs> do little mini interviews like, with us. It was like press press event kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're up there on the second floor like hours before anyone gets there. And we're on the same floor as Eddie Money and Loverboy. And so it has their names on the door. And so <laughs> we kind of peek in. There's no one there. So, so we go on in. And so now we, <laughs> we get to surprise. see. Yeah, we get to see everything it is that they've asked to have there for their concert. And for yeah. for Eddie Money, I guess they were playing some sort of joke on it because it just had like uh, Oscar Mayer bologna, Wonder Bread, and some mustard. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think they're just it was some sort of joke. But Loverboy, we go into theirs, 
and it had like I think it had like a case of beer, yeah. and then like two cases of Red Bull. <laughs> And I think there was some some. Let's do this thing. Yeah, and I think there's some fruit, if I recall. That's I mean, it's been, it's been eight years. I mean, I what I remember the most is the Red Bull. Yeah, <laughs> and and so okay, we're like, wow, this is great. We took photos of ourselves uh, by the you know in the in the rooms. There's a photo of me somewhere on my Facebook page of me standing outside the Lover Boy like, door sign. I think yeah. I remember that picture. So we're there, and you know. You know, Patty from Scandal is sick. She can't interview with us. But I, I'd already talked to her once before anyway, so it didn't matter. Yeah, I was going to say. I, yeah. I remember an interview with her. Right. We, we pre-interviewed her. You know, we go downstairs. We watch Loverboard perform. And they're amazing. You know, it's, it's yeah. just Mike Reno's voice is just as strong as it ever was. And they, they go through. And they're loud as a mother. I mean, just I mean, yeah. my, I remember my ears just being like, gee, this is another thing I don't miss about concerts. Yeah. So they do their set. And then we run upstairs. And they run upstairs. <laughs> I just remember being in the hallways, like Mike Reno, like walks by, and he's got like his entourage around him and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah. "Holy shit, it's Mike Reno!" And, and and we're like, "Hey, we're the podcast guys." And Mike Reno's like, "Podcast guys, podcast guys." And so he's like, "It's <laughs> podcast time." And so we're like, we don't know who we're gonna get. Yeah. So we go back into our our studio, and then two two members of Loverboy come in there. My, Mike Reno wasn't one of them, but it was yeah. still a really fun interview, and um. And then, of course, later that night, we also did Rick Springfield. Yeah, if you want to check that out, go back and listen to episode 59 from September of 2006. Jeez. But it was, it was a fun night. Fast forward to a couple weeks ago, um, I found out that Loverboy was releasing a new studio album called Unfinished Business. Great name, by the way. And I emailed their press guy, just kind of just... Yeah, shot in the dark. Yeah. You know, every once in a while you get lucky. I mean, no pun intended. Uh, oh, I swear I to God, see what you did planned, there. <laughs> and I said, you know, any chance? Never script that joke out. <laughs> any, any chance? You know, Mike Reno would want to talk because I, I mean, you know, I'd love to interview him for the show, and you know, I've heard the album; it's great. And and he, he wrote back. He said, I'm sure Mike would love to do the show. And then, sure enough, fast forward a couple weeks, we sat down for like uh, not together. He in Vancouver, me in in Orlando. For about a half an hour, and we we had this amazing chat where we talk yeah. about the new album, we talk about the making of the video Queen of uh, the Broken Hearts, uh, we talk about how they first got into MTV, stuff like that. It's yeah, it's, a, it's it's a great interview. It it's is. a great interview. You guys are going to love this interview. Before we get to the interview, I want to do a little bit of a background on Loverboy for people who haven't been listening to them since the early '80s. And if you haven't been, then what the hell are you listening to? Because I love these guys. Well, yeah, it's funny you would say that. I went back to look at like what's their what what's their first album? Their first single, "Turn Me Loose." It's amazing. You know, nothing but nothing but fire right out of the box yeah, there. I mean, right, that is just right. great, great opening with the bass yeah. line. Oh, so, it's fantastic. So the band forms. Mike Reno, who by the way his real name Joseph Michael Ranowski, uh, would meet Paul Dean. In 1979, in a Calgary nightclub, uh, they started jamming together and they formed Lover Boy shortly afterward. That first album you love so much, Brad, 1980, it had it Terminal Loose. Like if, if you had come to me and said, when did that album come out? I would have said, 82, 83. It's right at the beginning of the 80s. Right, right. And it also has The Kids Are Hot Tonight on it. It's a good album. It's a great album. Um, of course, everybody knows their second album, uh, Get Lucky, from 1981. And, and Mike talks a little bit about that during the show. That yeah, went four times. One in every Camaro. Yeah. That went platinum four times over in the U.S. It had hits like Lucky Ones, When It's Over, and this song, 
which plays every Friday afternoon on every FM radio station for the last 30 years. <laughs> Brad, do you remember the album cover of Get Lucky? Uh, I, I do, and actually a little-known fact, 80s Nation, that's Steve Spears' butt on the cover. <laughs> no. I'm pretty sure it's my hairy arm, though. Oh. but um, I guess you got lucky there. Yeah. Uh, my arm probably is, well, it's not that hairy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of my first debut album. It's not it's that not, hairy. It's not that hairy. Spearsonian Belly's second album, It's Not That Hairy. Yeah. Um, that is not Mike Reno's butt in the red leather pants. Uh, reportedly, instead, it's the butt of the 13-year-old daughter of the photographer. Uh, nobody else could fit into the pants that they bought. That's kind of funny. But uh, but whose hands? Whose hands are it? Who's? <laughs> what hands is? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that that was ever made public. I guess we'll have to just you know, it'll be a mystery of the ages. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. If you had all the answers, you wouldn't know what to do with them all. Okay, so enough of the history lesson. Sit back and enjoy 25 Amazing Minutes with Mike Reno. Mike Reno calling. How are you? Oh, wow. Mike Reno calling. Magic words. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you're in the business of interviewing people, that must be pretty exciting getting calls from all these different people. I mean, I know I, I'm a bit of a star nut, too. If I see somebody in a restaurant that, you know, is famous, like Nicholas Cage or something, I go, oh, my God, there's what's his name or there's what's her name. <laughs> so where are you calling from? Uh, I'm in Vancouver today. Briefly, I came home for a couple of days from uh, my last little road trip. I grouped these weekends that we played three, four shows here and there every weekend for all year long. I grouped them as, as little mini tours. Uh, we're off uh, out to Kentucky uh, tomorrow to play a show on Friday. Uh, but thank God this weekend there's only one concert. But we, we've been really grinding at it, uh, playing some really fun shows this year. But uh, I'm in Vancouver, sunny Vancouver uh, for a couple of days off, and I'm really enjoying myself. Oh, cool. I, I should say that um, to this day, I remember the exact date and place when I first saw you perform live. Um, okay. Because it was my first ever concert. It was October 22nd, 1981, uh, Lakeland Civic Center in Florida, and Loverboy was opening for Journey on their escape tour. So uh, you were the very first rock star I ever saw perform live. You know what? That is so cool. And that was our big album, Get Lucky. So between Get Lucky and Escape, there was uh, uh, spawned a lot of hits. There was a lot of hits on that stage that night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably, and probably the loudest night I'd ever experienced in my life to this day. <laughs> probably, <laughs> so. yeah. Well, you know, you power up those power amps, boy. And you, yeah. It's all about the energy with rock music, and you just push, push, and you look around, and everybody's got a smile on their face. I just love it. I'm really in a great business, you know. I just love what I do, and I love making people happy, and I love when people make me happy. It's one big love fest, really.
has performing live always been sort of the you know the the thrill versus actually you know being in a studio and making music oh for sure always um the studio is kind of to me it's kind of like oh god it's like the work aspect you know you got to go in there and pound away for 12 hours no matter what happens you're going to be there 12 hours concerts are like hit and roll hit and roll and you know you do a concert and then you're down the you're off. You're off to the next town. And you do another concert. There's nothing like uh, live music, boy. It's just the energy. There's the before the show. I'm so nervous. I can't even hold food in my stomach. I'm, it's just this. It's like I'm on the edge, just ready to jump off. And it's like skydiving almost for me, anyways. And I just kind of go, Oh my god, Oh my god. And then boom, the lights come on and the audience jumps up and it's like, Yeah, <laughs> super great. Oh. Love it. Still today, still the same butterflies? Oh, it's even worse. I am even worse. I uh, I just completely lose it when I get uh, ready for a show. I'm like, oh, God, really? Do I have to go through this every time? Doesn't it ever get any easier? <laughs> and in my case, I guess it doesn't. Now, do you still need to rehearse? I mean, do you still have to like uh, set aside time before every outing to you know get together for a week and go over the songs? Or are they kind of like just stuck in your brain now? We haven't rehearsed in 35 years. Uh, once in a while when we're doing some new stuff, if we've got a bunch of new stuff and we want to go on the road and, and play a pile of new songs, we'll get together and rehearse. Generally, we uh, do it at, uh, at uh, Soundcheck. We'll go down to Soundcheck for an hour, bang off some of the new stuff we've been writing or stuff. Sometimes when we are writing songs and we're on the road we want to try something out, we'll get together and have an extra long sound check. And we'll bang off some new stuff while the guys are getting uh, getting everything already on stage. So speaking of new stuff, um, you have the new album out, Unfinished Business. And I've read that some of the songs, maybe all the songs, I'm not sure, but at least a handful of them were written but not finished maybe like even up to 40 years ago. Well, some of these songs have been in Paul's and mine's head for 40 years. Uh, and we just hadn't finished them. And now we decided to uh, finish them. And some of the stuff was actually partially recorded or completely recorded. Back in the early days of Loverboy, before we had a record deal, we wrote a lot of songs. And and then we started recording stuff to be, uh, put, to put out. We'd record 25 songs, finish them up, hand them to the record company, and they would choose nine songs for an album. Well, there's a whole pile of songs left over. So we did this a lot with every album. We always overwrote songs. So... When uh, Paul and I and the guys were taking our two-inch tapes and downloading them to digital so we'd have them forever and get rid of the two-inch tapes that, by the way, after a few years go bad if you can't play them anymore. So we were doing that and we said, boy, that's a good song. Boy, that's a good song. We did this all day for a week. Boy, those are some pretty good songs. We could actually put a couple more records out just with stuff we found. So that's really cool. And we said, well, let's let's put this song, this song, this song on a new album and then add those those other songs we've been writing recently and we'll add it. And then we didn't really know what to call it. So we asked our fans on our webpage to name the album. We got a lot of uh, funny replies, a lot of great replies, a lot of silly replies. And then we came up with one that we thought was perfect. And that was Unfinished Business. So the fans named it. We recorded it for the fans. So it's like a full circle deal. Everybody's happy. Yeah, I loved it. I downloaded it a, few, you know, it a couple of weeks ago at least. And uh, I think the ones that stand out to me are what makes you so special and counting the nights. Oh, 
Oh, cool. Yeah, right on. Appreciate it. I'll let Paul know because we're going to play Counting the Nights uh, start adding that to our set. Yeah, that was, that was actually my next question. I mean, how, how many of these songs are you going to be able to work into your uh, live shows this year? Uh, well, we're working in one of them this week and maybe another one the week after. Um, here's the deal, and you got to be, Steve, you got to understand, if I go on, on stage and don't play one of the 14 or 15 big top 40 hits that we had, they'll run us out of town on a rail. They'll chase us out of town with baseball bats. I mean, really. <laughs> so we have an, op- an obligation to play a lot of the, all the hits. But there are moments when, when we can do a little extra. We can play a little extra at a concert, do a song or two extra. Those are the times we'll throw in new songs. And so we're not taken away from the Loverboy experience that everybody loves. We're, taking, we're just adding a little something to help us along. You know, Nice for us to play new songs. It makes us feel current and makes us feel like we're doing something fresh so we're doing it for us and if the fans uh, like it well good good So is there any plans then maybe to take some of the – I mean, if you've got all these songs left over, I mean, surely you have enough for another album maybe a couple of years from now as well. Absolutely. You know, like I said. And just Paul and I have been actually working on new songs in the studio already in our own little home studios. We've been uh, working on some other stuff. I was just singing one last week. So we're always writing songs. Let's, let's be honest. Uh, it's, it's one of those kind of businesses. It's like fashion. You know, you always got to come up with – a new pair of a new style shirt, even though the shirt has been around for uh, forever, they come up with new stuff every fall and every spring. It's same as fashion, you know. <clears throat> we like to come up with new stuff. That's what we do. So we're always working on new stuff, and uh, and we'll probably always just record it and put it out there. Things have changed in the music industry. You no longer <clears throat> get plaques that you sold a million records, but oh well, <clears throat> some things change for the good. Some things change for the bad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to see some bands that still kind of want to release music in album form. I don't think that I'll ever get used to whatever the music business has kind of devolved into these days. Me neither. You know, I'm just glad that we were around when we used to put... I remember I'd wait for an album to come up. I'd line up to buy it. I'd race it home. I'd rip it open, put it on, and read all the liner notes and just like for just play it over and over again like... Those were those were the days, and that was that's what we grew up on. I'm I'm older than you, I imagine, and, and that's what we did. That's what Loverboy was all about. And things are so different now. It's, I don't really like the way it's gone, but I'm I'm you know learning to live with it. Um, do you remember the names of any of those albums you might have bought when you were a kid and ran home with? Oh yeah, Led Zeppelin, Grand Funk, Rolling Stones, Beatles. I had all that stuff. Uh, my first record that I bought was a small forty-five because that's all I had the money for. And it was uh, Ruby Tuesday by the Rolling Stones. Nice. That's a good one. Yeah. I think the first one I ever bought, I think it was ELO. Um, one of the ones, I forget the name of the album, but it was from the late 70s. I, I bought it based on the album cover. I like right. the art. Well, that's kind of cool. That Back then, that's what people did. You know, yeah. you liked, either like somebody in the band or you liked the, 
the album cover or you like the art um, or you like the music or you like all of it, you know. It was pretty interesting. Things are a little different now when you just download stuff and it's very impersonal and, you know. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if you heard, but I guess it was a week or so ago that Gene Simmons from Kiss went with, in an interview, was I think it was with Esquire magazine, was talking about how he thinks rock music is dead nowadays. It's like officially dead. The music business, the, the recording business, it's just, it's all dead. I, I don't know if you read that or if you had any reaction to it. Uh, well, I could react to it just by hearing you. He always puts his foot in his mouth. That's what Gene Simmons does. He <laughs> likes to get press, whether it's good or bad. He's just a, a, a press hound. He's a press slutter, really, is what he is. Uh, here's the deal. Those are his opinions, and that's because he hasn't looked through the big picture. Music has, isn't dead. It's just a whole different way of doing things. You've got to learn how to work and operate in the new systems. And if he thinks music's dead, then that's good. He should roll over and, and leave it for the rest of the people that still get very excited by recording and selling the music, playing it live. I don't care if they buy it. I like to record and, and put it out anyways. Um, music's definitely, the business has changed, but by no means is it dead. It's only dead to people who haven't got any vision. And that's, that's my statement. <laughs> recently read in a couple places that Loverboy was one of the first bands to really jump on the MTV bandwagon and create videos for the network. Oh, you wouldn't even believe this if I tell you you're going to laugh, Steve. We were told uh, by the record company in New York, they said, you're, we were on tour, and I remember them saying, we want you guys to pull into uh, Albany, New York, and go over, I think it was called the Shrine Auditorium. I could be wrong, it could have another name to it, but it was like the Orpheum-style auditorium, uh, concert hall, playhouse. And this was in Albany because we were in the neighborhood. <clears throat> and I guess what they had done is sent a crew in from New York City to set up. And they said, basically, we want you to, to play a whole pile of songs off your record. And we're going to add some funny clips and stuff from different things and hand them to this new company out of New York that's doing a 24-hour music television show. And we went, okay. So we pulled in and we recorded uh, a whole bunch of stuff. We just played live. They filmed it. And they sent all these clips, I think. They sent three finished, uh, you know, five-minute clips, which they did. And this is how funny this is, Steve. They, weren't even, they didn't even know what they were called back then. They were just music clips. <laughs> and it turns out that they were called videos because that's how it created that day was one day where they were called videos. The day before, there was none. The day after, now they're called videos. They sent him to a company called MTV, who had a 24-hour license to play music on the television. Uh, only about 13 bands jumped on that, and so they played us, uh, uh, the 13 bands, uh, 24 hours a day. We became uh, television stars. We were, fam we were Our faces were famous. Before that, things were kind of faceless, unless you got a, sh a show on in concert or you know, the rock and roll concert stuff that played on the weekends. Yeah. Uh, nobody knew what you looked like unless they just looked at your album cover. So a lot of people, bands were faceless until MTV was created. So one day it was 
wasn't there, and the next day it was there, and <laughs> there's no turning back. We know, we know what happened there. Yeah, I, I remember back in '83. Uh, uh, you know, back then MTV was infamous for their contests, and I, I used to enter them all. You know, like you win like a a pink house from John, you know, John Cougar at that time. Right. But in but in '83, you uh, there was a Loverboy one where if you won it, you got to appear in the video for Queen of the Broken Hearts. Oh, I remember that. And uh, hardcore fans still know that if you look at the video at about the 15 second mark, you see the woman who won the award. She's sitting behind some computer monitors or something like that. Right. But to this day, that is still my all time favorite Loverboy video. Oh, thank you. The, the backstory to that? No, I'd love to hear it. She is actually the mother of the girl who won. The girl who won was so freaked out, she never even showed up to get to get flown in to uh, the Mojave Desert photo shoot, uh, a video shoot. So the mother went, and they limoed her out to the desert. And on the way out there, she got so drunk from all the liquor that was in the limo that she wouldn't get out of the limo. <laughs> so finally... They almost crowbarred her out of that limo and put her on in a scene, just somewhere, because she had to be in the scene that was part of the contest. And she just didn't even want to do it. It was like she was just so. We, they sat her down and they just filmed her as she was kind of trying to get up, get back into the limo, because she didn't want to be any part of it. So, and that's the that's the backstory there. That's funny, huh? Yeah, oh, that is. I I think I had read everything there was to read about that song in that video, but that completely is news to me. That's amazing. Loverboy had a lot of success in the 80s, specifically writing for some movie soundtracks. And, and of course, you had some success personally. Um, you know, there was... Uh, almost paradise, but the band also had Heaven in Your Eyes from Top Gun and Chasing the Angels from Iron Eagles too. Um, what are your memories about being approached and recording uh, Almost Paradise with Ann Wilson? I got a call from Bruce Allen, my manager, who said, listen, I got the opportunity to put a song in um, in this new movie Footloose that they're making, and they want it to be a duet, so what do you, what, what do you think? And I said, I'm going to pick... Uh, and Wilson from Hart, because Hart kind of grew up in Vancouver, same as uh, us. They were a group from Seattle, but they came up here for about 10 years and lived in the 70s and lived here and played here all the time in Vancouver. So we kind of considered them one of our own, and I learned to love uh, Anne's voice, and they're just great people all the way around. I still I still think they're great people. So Bruce Allen said, well, you can pick whoever you want to sing with, and we'll set it up so you can go sing in... Uh, I guess we'll do it in Chicago because you're both on the road and blah, blah, blah. So I get to the studio and we start, I'm kind of, the song's all ready to go. We both kind of learned it and it was like, uh, she was like three hours late for the session and they were just about ready to shut the session down and she walked in and she was sorry for being late, but she 
she slipped on the ice or something, and she hurt her wrist, and she was kind of holding an ice bag on her wrist. And I felt really bad for her, and I said, do you want to just forget about this, or do you want to sit down and just relax for a little while and then cut this track? So I got her to relax a little bit, and we sat there, and we got to know each other a little bit. This is out in the studio with the curtains closed, just her and I sitting there. I think we had a, a glass of wine or something just to calm us down. Then uh, after, I don't know, about an hour, I said, do you want to give this song a try? Or? She says, yeah, it's a beautiful song. Let's do it. So uh, I asked the guys in the studio to open up the curtains. They ran the track. We sang it once, facing each other in the same microphone. Boom. That was it. Magic, baby. I thought that dreams belonged to other men. Because each time I got close, they fall apart again. Did the success of that song affect at all your relationship with uh, your bandmates at all, or was they were just? Oh, absolutely. Paul thought we were finished. Paul thought that if we were going to turn into a ballad band, and he got all pissed off. And it turned out that he was uh, a little premature on being angry because, um, you know, that album went and sold twenty-seven million copies, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it was the number I don't know two or something. I don't think it ever reached number one, but um, so it made the you know whatever makes makes noise makes the band famous, right? So you know, along with Mike Reno, it's Mike Reno of Loverboy. So he learned over the years to accept the fact that whatever I did, it made the band also just as famous, right? And I never wanted to get away and do a solo career. I was just asked to do this song. Next thing you know, they're knocking on our door to do uh, Top Gun. So Paul's tune changed immediately, and we got together and wrote Heaven in Your Eyes, and and that also went on to sell like 27 million albums. So uh, he now uh, has a whole new appreciation for the love ballad. Unlike so many bands from you know that have been around for this many years, how have you kept it together for so long? Well, there's, there's one thing that Paul and I did when we first started. We took our time finding the guys that we wanted in this band. And it took us over a year to find the exact blend. And we went through a few blends before we would put out a record and, and did any videos or anything. We, we, we nailed us, the five of us that are still together. Minus Scott, because... Our bass player was on a trip in the uh, 2000, November of 2000 and was knocked off his boat and presumed, uh, presumed to be dead at sea, which was really sad because he was a pivotal member of the band and my best friend. 
took a while to get over that one. But what we did when Paul and I, we decided, we looked at each other and said, let's just make everybody equal partners all the way down the line. So everybody is responsible, just, just as responsible as the next guy. It's not like the drummer just gets this and the bass player gets this and the keyboard player gets this and Paul and I will take the lion's share. We didn't do any of that. We just split everything equally. And that gave everybody the uh, incentive to be, it, everything was as responsible, you know, everybody was as responsible as everybody else, you know, equal, equal members, equal responsibility. And I think, uh, and the fact that Paul and I took time finding the people we wanted to be with, because we were hoping this band would be along for a while. We didn't know it would go 35 years, but we thought, you know, let's, let's work with people that we enjoy being around, right? So those are the two things. Took our time finding the members, and we just uh, did an equal partnership, so all the revenues were split five ways. That's super smart, yeah. Hey, hey Mike, thanks for your time. Uh, good luck with the new album. I hope you guys get down to Florida sometime soon so I can see you again. I'd like to be able to say that I've seen Loverboy four times now. Actually, we're coming to Coral, Cape Coral, Cape, Cape Coral. Cape Coral. We're coming there in uh, November on the 8th. Well, fantastic. Uh, really, I, this, the story she told, unbelievable, man. I really, I really appreciate it. Uh, you're very welcome. It was nice talking to you, my friend. So what do you think, Brad? That's a great interview. The stuff about unfinished business where they're unearthing songs that they wrote long, long ago. Um, and, and I also love any time the band is self-aware enough to know, like, we have to play our hits or people are going to be really angry. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since I've seen uh, Loverboy. I, I've seen them at least... I don't think I've ever seen Loverboy. One, two... I've seen them three times, though technically the third time I didn't see them. I only heard them. This is so another you're trapped under something heavy. Yeah, basically. Um, what was I, her name? Uh, I was at this was a, two years ago. Loverboy was touring with Pat Benatar and Journey. Okay, yeah, I remember that tour. And they were playing in Tampa at the outdoor amphitheater, and I had tickets, and we left for the venue like two hours before the show started oh this is the yeah <laughs> this is the event where there was something else happening at that facility yeah so we get close to the fairgrounds which is where the the venue is and suddenly it's gridlock it turns out that half the parking lot is already closed because there's a gun show so sun's out guns out yeah so we ended up driving around looking for a parking space we ended up parking like two miles away oh geez and then walking and we got there just, you know, maybe Loverboy was playing their last two songs. So we were still like waiting in line for beers while Loverboy was finishing up. But I was so pissed because I knew what their set list was ahead of time. And I knew they were going to play Queen of the Broken Hearts, um, and which is still my favorite Loverboy song and definitely my favorite video. And here I was finally, you know, bucket list moment. And I can't, yeah. and I'm stuck, you know, because of some freaking gun show. But uh, I was going to say something about that to Reno, but I thought, you know, I've got like 25 or 30 minutes with him. Do I really want to yeah. like... Maybe less stories about me and more stories about him. <laughs> that, that was my thinking exactly. You know you know, what else I'd like to think about exactly right now? The, the Seggies. Seggies. 
Ah, uh, the Miscore Friend of Reader Mailbag. This week we have a letter from Stephen Crosby, our friend from Las Vegas. Don't you mean? Hey, hey, hey. It's Steve Crosby. And I'm gonna sing a song for you. And Bill's gonna show you a thing or two. Oh, you know he loves that. I know he does. That's why I do it. Like live for others, that's my motto. Go ahead and read the email. Oh fine. I have to catch my breath after that exertion. <laughs> We're old. <laughs> Just figuring that out, are you? Hey, Brad and Steve. I know this is going to sound odd, but if you're really planning on doing a Porn in the 80s podcast, I can tell you about how I sat next to Tracy Lords back in high school. Mm, Tracy Lords. Damn, son. Oh, he's talking about... We did that podcast a few weeks ago where we talked about... Um, that phrase we worked that, a little blue. We yeah. worked a little blue. We got some grief, and people said that we should have saved that for a poor in the 80s podcast, which I don't think I don't, we'll ever I don't really think do. think we're going to do that show. Yeah, no. Mom doesn't need to hear that particular episode. Yeah. <laughs> we, didn't, we, of course, didn't watch porn in the 80s. No, no. That no. would have been illegal. Um, <laughs> would anyway, have been bad and wrong. Anyway, the letter continues. Okay, Tracy Lords High School. Stephen continues. Of course, Tracy Lords wasn't her real name. Many years later, I got her to sign my yearbook as Tracy. Oh, let me stop you right here. Do you know what Tracy Lord's real name is? I do not. Nora Kuzma. I can't imagine why she changed that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Her according to my according to my information, <laughs> her uh, her best friend's name was Tracy, and Jack Lord was her favorite actor from Hawaii Five O. Hence Tracy Lord's. Book him, Dano. And according to my information, he was a handsome man. According to my sources, sources. That means that Stephen and Tracy both went to Redondo Union High School in Redondo, California. Oh, nice. So there you go. Cool. I did not know that Steve the Crosby Man Crosby was from Redondo. Okay. Okay, anyway, so he Moving continues on. He continues to write. Continue. We, we change gears slightly now. But I've been thinking about Spearsy's seat in the time machine. And like you, I agree that my life is great now and I wouldn't want to make a permanent change, but I would like to just see what might have been. I was lucky enough to be one of the 60,000 people that saw the 101 Depeche Mode concert at the Rose Bowl in 1988. I was without a girlfriend that summer, and so I asked a very cute girl I worked with if she wanted to go. I was, of course, thrilled when she said, yes. The show is incredible, and I count it as the best concert I've ever been to. Fast forward to the end of the night, and we were faced with a very long wait to exit the parking lot. About an hour and a half. Oh, my gosh. The Rose Bowl is not the easiest place to get in and out of. That's true. Jeez. So, it's beautiful, but a little... Anyway. So, we got a little friendly and made out a bit. That's getting better. To say I was... (laughs) Bully! Bully for you, Mr. Crosby! To say that I was floating on a cloud the whole way home was an understatement. We went out one other time to see a movie, but her mom wouldn't let her continue seeing me as she didn't want her dating. So I was never able to see what might have become from that. Oh. If I could have Spearsy's seat in the time machine, I would go back and ask her out again, even if it was behind her mom's back. I know that I'm very happy with my life now, but what might have been? We may never know unless Spearsy gives up his seat to me. <laughs> Signed, Steve and Crosby. Well, now here's the problem. If you go back and go out with her, doesn't that alter the timeline? How do you get back to your life now? I don't think it's, it's not like a, it's not a DVR. You can't just rewind it, fast forward, rewind, fast forward. Well, it depends on your theory of, of time. 
I mean, is it are, are we going back to like a parallel world that it only diverges at that well, point? Again, the other timelines still exist. I don't know. I would like to think that the I don't past really disagree. No, no, no. I'd like to think that the past, like the future, is what we make of it. Well, that's convenient. And so, if you believe you can go to the past and make it what you will, then so be it. But then, can you come back to the future? That if you will, if you will it that way. Well. I don't know. I don't think that him going back and asking out this girl again is really going to throw things all that much crazy. Uh, you just never know. But uh, I read this one Ray Bradbury story once. Yeah. Hey. I don't know. <coughs> Who knows? Science fiction. We're talking about time travel, not science fiction. Oh, I'm sorry. This stuff is real. You're absolutely right. Um, wow, that's a good story. What, does he deserve the time machine seat for that? I don't know. He just he he's just wants to run some numbers to me. He wants to <laughs> kind of check it out. Like, let me punch it into the spreadsheet. Make out factor 27. Yeah, I don't know. See, eh. I, I'm still debating what I would use it for. So uh, I posted an old story. Obviously, you'd go back to the beginning of the podcast and ask me to be your co-host right away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I, I posted a, uh, an old blog post to Facebook today um, retelling the whole Spando Ballet story. Oh, yeah? That's a great story. I'm kind of playing my hits <laughs> lately. And um, I wait, think... Wait, nostalgia on a nostalgia podcast? Is that yeah, okay? I'm being nostalgia about nostalgia on a nostalgia podcast. Yeah, stuck in, stuck in, stuck in the 80s. I still think that might be a top three moment to go back to. You know, standing outside well, a girl's door for two hours and not working up the courage to kiss her. Not know? closing the deal. Yeah, I mean, that stays in your mind, so you kind of carry it around like that. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fess up to this. and I don't, I don't necessarily feel extremely proud about it, but when I was thinking about reposting a story to Facebook, I... I, I kind of wanted to find out whatever happened to this girl. Um, sure. I, the, the Spando Ballet girl. I think that's pretty natural. I don't think you Yeah. So, it. I mean, I looked for her on Facebook. I don't see her there. Um, and then I contacted my college roommate who st- was dating her in college long after oh. the whole Sp- Spando Ballet thing happened. Okay. And um, that, which is a whole side story, you know, because I mean, it was, it was horrible to have this girl that I had this huge crush on. Now he's now she's banging my college roommate in the room next to me. You know, I mean, <laughs> you're like, oh, I gotta go get some air. To this day, the, the smell of baby oil still makes me sick. So I contacted him. And I'm like, have you heard from Robin lately? And he's like, actually, yeah, he had heard from her a couple years ago. Actually, I guess she was in town, or I forget, I forget how long ago it was. He said he said a few yeah. years, but he said a few a few years ago she was in town. They had dinner and stuff like that. But and I guess she had gotten into politics or something like that. Or, so. <laughs> So I was just like, okay, well, that's interesting. And I said, you know, her last name is, you know, he's like, yes, that's it. And so I, I looked up again and I just, I can't find her. She's like, yeah, it's like, she, it's like it never happened. So maybe, maybe it didn't. Someone went back in the time machine and erased it. Maybe it's you went back. Maybe if you went back in the time machine, you would find that you were actually in a coma for six weeks and you dreamt the whole thing. That would explain so much. Hmm. Um, as always, we love your stories about wanting the seat on the time machine. <laughs> Please continue to send them. We get, we like all your stories. We like all your stories, but the yeah. time machine, the time machine can, ones are a lot of fun. Yeah, I could sit there and talk about this forever. So as always, the email address is sit80s at gmail.com or Steven the 80s at gmail.com or Brad in the 80s at gmail.com. Remember, it's 80s, not spell it out. We like to keep things simple here at Stuck in the 80s. So, Steve, we should do a spinoff, uh, the Time Machine podcast. We could do, move this all over into a whole separate production in our copious spare time. Oh right, you know, like a whole build a whole other home studio. Yeah, exactly, and it would be just like like uh, Frasier for Cheers. Yeah, Frasier for Cheers. It'd be a spinoff. 
Oh, uh, the Time Machine podcast. I love it. Let's do it. I'm in. It's got legs. Get bottle openers made. Yeah. <laughs> what are we going to call it? The Great 80s Time Machine? I don't know. Everyone has three mortgages these days. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Come up with a name for our... I put out the Stuck in the 80s Nation. Come up with a name for our new Time Machine podcast, and we'll see you from there. Uh, here we go. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. We will play a clip from a movie from the 80s. And if you can get it right... And you have your papers. <laughs> Do you have papers? Papers, please. We actually have... It's, I'll have to tell you, I'll tell you later the surprise. I don't want to distract. A surprise! I love surprises. I don't want. I don't want to distract from the business at hand. So here we go. Uh, here's our clip from last show. I work at a savings and loan. I can't play these video games. Sure you can, pal. You look like an astral athlete if I ever saw one. That's Tron. I'm surprised more people didn't get that, or more people didn't admit to getting that. Well, that could be. Little- I love this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> My name's Brad, and I'm a Tron lover. Yeah. And I know Tron Legacy is a bad movie, but oh god, it looks so good. No, it I love just it. I it looks it. fantastic. And the soundtrack is fantastic. Anyway, <laughs> name some of the winners. Winners include wow, this is a big list for a small list. This is a big list. Does that make any sense? John in San Diego, Rick Star in Woi Woi Australia, Rob Stroke Me Stroke Me Stroke. Stro, Tom in Osterreich, Austria, Scott in New Hampshire, Jeff in Chester, Lou, Sweet Lou, Grilly, Shazam from Springfield, and James Crabtree in Indianapolis. So Lou Grilly friended me on Facebook this week. I just had this picture in my head that he looked like Blue Lou, the sax player from uh, Blues Brothers. He doesn't look anything like that. No, no, not at all. <laughs> That's <laughs> he didn't tell me that. One. That's a funny story. Okay. Pay attention. Here's the clip for this show. As the Secretary General of the United Nations, an organization of 147 member states who represent almost all of the human inhabitants of the planet Earth, I send greetings. Interesting. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the thing. We now have new swag. Ooh, Brad, sure. tell them about our swag. Steve, the swag we have for you this week includes these fantastic custom bottle openers, laser engraved with the new Stuck in the 80s logo. Well, maybe it's not the, it's a logo. I don't know if it's, it's, a, Steve. it's a logo. It's a logo. <laughs> got, got my note. So, yeah, we have some bottle openers that we got made up. They're pretty cool. So here's the deal. So starting with our next show, we will draw from the pool of winners for both Seggies. There you go. And, and, and someone gets a bottle opener. And one lucky listener is going to get a bottle opener. Yeah. If that is, if they trust us enough to give us a mailing address. Yeah. Well, we'll let Don't you know. We'll, we'll tell you. Yeah, we'll, 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 let you, you know, we'll, we'll contact the winner and say, hey, you won. We're not going to ask everyone to send us their address. We're not signing you up for any sort of weird mailing list or anything like that. All you get from us is a bottle opener. Yes. And a hearty handshake. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, if you got them right, send those answers. SIT80s at gmail.com. Brad in the 80s or Stephen E's at gmail.com. Ah, oh, the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. Hey, signature event time here at Stuck in the 80s. Whoop, whoop. Yep, we'll play a segment of a song from the 80s. If you can get it right, you are one step closer to getting your very own Stuck in the 80s bottle opener. Pay attention. Here's the clip from our last show. 
That's The Flame by Cheap Trick. Delightful. Yeah. When was that? When was that? That's a '88 album. '89. Uh, mid '80s. Oh, yeah, mid '80s. Mid to late '80s. Uh, I just remember being kind of startled. Cheap trick. Cheap trick. I remember <laughs> being kind of startled that Cheap Trick had a ballad out. Uh, they got a couple ballads. Yeah, that was a big hit for them, though. Yeah, it was one of their biggest. But I, I still love them. They they're playing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. They play so many shows a year down here in Florida because Robin Zander lives yeah. in Tampa Bay. I would say not a season goes by where you don't have a chance to see Cheap Trick either for free or for, for pretty much on the cheap. No pun intended again. So to speak. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Brad, read the winners. Winners. Winners this week include Kevin Eleven in Oldsmar, Florida, Phil in Adelaide, Paul in Indianapolis, Rock the Good Ag. Okay, oh. Rock the Good Egg. I'll go with that. Is that like Rock the Casbah? The Jersey Snyder Man, Joe in Athens, Gabriel Daigle, Christine in Philly, Eric in Alpharetta, Georgia. Hey, 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 it's Steve Crosby. Just Jewel, Curtin Dirty Jersey, Paul S., Tim in Harrisburg, PA, Scott in New Hampshire. Oh, my gosh, I'm dying here. OJ from La Caruna, Spain, Kevin Serving Wench, Trinette T. Mac Mackey, Marie Mueller of Bradenton. How long is this list? <laughs> Formerly of Kissimmee, Florida, Geek Salad, Eric Klein in Canada, and none other than Robert Jordan. I didn't know Marie moved from Kissimmee. That's that's sad. I never got to meet her. Oh, one of the one of the few Orlando area uh, Stuckney's listeners, and now she's gone. Now she actually lives closer to where I used to live. That's weird. She's, you're driving them away. Uh, anyway, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us, and you'll be entered to win that fabulous bottle opener. If you're right. If you're right. Yeah. My money's on uh, Marie Mueller because I think anyone who moves to Brainton needs a bottle opener. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll be right back after this commercial break. How to ride a Honda scooter. First, select shirt-pant combo. We suggest this. Or this. Next, select appropriate shoes. We suggest two. Then choose a scooter that best expresses your individuality. There are many sizes and colors. And always wear your helmet. Honda scooters. They're everything but ordinary. And we're back. We have just a few minutes left. Man, I'm sort of still buzzing from the Mike Reno interview. That was a fun one to do. Yeah, he was a good guy, too. We've had a good year with interviews. It's been great. The summer has been fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We hadn't done one in so long. I was starting to wonder if, you know, we were ever going to get back to it. And, uh, you know. You still got it, Steve Spears. Yeah. When he was talking about Gene Simmons. Oh, that was fantastic. And I, I mean, I did not know. I didn't have that question written down. Uh, I do write down most of my questions ahead of time, but um, yeah. uh, well, that had just happened. That had just broken in that day or so. Yeah, and I was just like, it just kind of. He was talking about. He was on the subject. And I thought, well, I'll ask him. I didn't really expect him to go <laughs> <laughs> on a full frontal attack, you know, on Gene Simmons. But it was hilarious. And when I was editing yeah. it, I was, you know, 
you know, this is probably too much information for most people, but, you know, we, we, we record on separate tracks. And so um, it helps us fix things when we talk over each other and stuff like that. Why would we ever talk over each other? That <laughs> would never happen. That would just be really ridiculous and obnoxious. I, start, I was, like, guffawing so loud in the background <laughs> he was doing Gene Simmons that I had to, when I went back and edited, I had to, like, zero out my track for five minutes. <laughs> So you wouldn't hear snorting me. was in yeah the snor- it was snorting like <laughs> I mean just ridiculous it's like I was trying to swallow a chalupa or something mm, chalupa. chalupa anyway um so we got for this week um I think it's a good one and we'll be back I know we're gonna do a um podcast coming up soon I think on Karate Kid yeah yeah and we've got some other surprises I don't want to give them away because. Uh, Every time I do, something falls through. So I'm not going to jinx anything anymore. But we and do have the bottle openers. Yeah, but the bottle openers are real. That, that surprise is real. Yeah, that's going to happen. Someone out there, you're going to be opening your beers next weekend. Well, not next weekend. Next month. Soon. Soon. <laughs> just just put the damn beer in the fridge already, and it'll get there when it gets there, okay? Sheesh. In the meantime, seriously, take a listen to Unfinished Business by Loverboy. Download their greatest hits because I'm telling you, my God, you, it is like the, the soundtrack of summer from the 80s. Yeah, that's exactly right. You, that is the exact right way to describe it. Yeah, fun, fun music. If you just have, if you roll down you, the windows and turn it up. Oh, my God. I've just enjoyed myself so much for the last two or three weeks listening to all those songs over again. Just, just good times, my friends. Good times. In the meantime, Mike Reno, Brad in L.A., and Stephen Crosby, we remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Yeah.